you as a human being are constantly trying something, hopefully, mm -hmm. right? This effort to continually grow and progress, whether that's spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, physically, or otherwise, you pick this area of focus that you want in your life. Mm -hmm. The idea that, uh, you know, I often say like, when we were little, we used to play this game, game called King of the Hill. Yes. You remember that? You mentioned and that I on say, the last that's, that's still, last still my favorite yes. idea, is this idea that it's a continual struggle, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the takeaway that I learned in, in from undergrad, is this lifelong learning of, of understanding that there's a reason we do continuing education, is it's proven that the practices change and things change, just like we do as humans. So as an athlete, your needs will change. Mm -hmm. What you did when you were a rookie or a freshman or yes. the beginning of your career may not be sufficient and for what you need to do now. And in my experience, working with elite and professional athletes for a very long time now, the best athletes recognize that on their own. Mm -hmm. So if you as an athlete can train yourself to recognize, you know, I used to be able to warm up in 10 minutes. Now my warm up takes like 20 or 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. It's not a bad thing you will get the most out of your body and your performance by recognizing and paying attention to that. And I think that's one of the things I've taken away from Disney on Ice in particular with skaters. Mm -hmm. Most of them are very, very keen in understanding their body. Mm -hmm. And they will tell me more than anything else when something's wrong. And they may not know what it is that's wrong, but they say something's off. Yes. This doesn't feel right. Help me. So that's bridging that gap. Welcome to the HNL Movement Podcast, where everything is geared to leveling up your performance in activities, sports, and life. Join me in my professional journey as I share my knowledge and experiences while also learning from professionals, colleagues, clients, and you with one goal in mind, how to optimize human performance. This is the right place to learn how a multi-dimensional approach will sustain the performance and lifestyle you desire. Welcome back everyone to the HNL Movement Podcast. For all of my new listeners out there, thank you for tuning in for this episode. And all of my returning listeners, thank you again for listening in, all your continued support. For everyone out there, if you haven't heard some of the past episodes, go check that out on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. You can also find video highlight clips of some of the guest interviews. You can find that on my YouTube channel. Just search for HNL Movement and you'll see the podcast highlight clips. There have been a lot of great guest interviews. Guests have come on and shared their stories, experiences, and a lot of gems that we can take from them and utilize to help us along our journey to optimize our performance. I've also covered a lot of solo topics, things that relate to sports medicine techniques, strength and conditioning, of course, and sports nutrition strategies as well. And on top of everything that has been talked about on this podcast, be sure to check out all of the other free content on my social media channels. You can find me at HNL Movement and also on my website at hnlmovement.com. If you're finding a lot of value with all these topics, be sure to share them with family, friends, coaches, teammates, and also share them on social media. Tag me as well. I would love to hear from anyone out there how this is benefiting you, what types of questions you have, or even how this has changed and improved some of your practices when it comes to training, being functional, and optimizing your results. 
With that, I'm so excited to get into today's episode. And we have Jay Christensen on the podcast for the second time. And he's a very good friend, colleague. We went through grad school together and we've also had unique experiences since then. So it's always great to sit down and talk to another fellow athletic trainer. This gives you a lot of great insights into what athletic trainers actually do, some of the things that we both experienced and learned from throughout our careers, and also some insights to help people to realize that it's a continual process to take care of your body. To take care of your body, train for things, optimize your performance and your results. There's no start and end to this. It's something that we need to continue to do throughout life. And all of this, this is on us. It's on us to learn, seek out the resources that we need, and also put in the work and effort in the right way to make sure that we can do all of the things to take care of our body so that we can do all of the activities that we love doing. I don't want to spoil too much in the episode, but listen in to Jay's recent experience touring with Disney on Ice in Japan. We also talk about some of the behind the scenes types of things when we're caring for our athletes, some of the obstacles too with insurance coverage and work comp, but also some of the things that will really help athletes to understand what resources they need to seek out, how they go about this and take care of their body like I mentioned. And the bottom line is to make sure that you can do everything that you want to do at the level that you want to perform at. There's a lot of great insights in this episode and it's always a pleasure to sit down and talk to Jay. So without saying anything more, listen in and enjoy this episode. Welcome back everyone to the H&L Movement Podcast. This, is, uh, this has been a long time coming and I always, it's always fun and a pleasure to talk to you. And we have Jay Christensen back on the podcast, but thanks so much for joining me, Jay. Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, if you haven't checked the, his first episode, we kind of went over your history. Yeah. You're a traveling tour athletic trainer for Marvel, and most recently you just came back from Japan with mm-hmm. Disney on Ice. Yeah. Um, but check out that episode. I don't even know how long ago. it was during COVID, at the start of COVID, maybe. Yeah, it's been a while. Yes, but check that out. I'll put it in the show notes if you want to hear all about Jay's life as a traveling athletic trainer. <laughs> but let's start there. Since you yeah. just came back from Disney on Ice. Mm-hmm. Give us a little bit about what that experience was like. And that was the first time any of your shows went to Japan, right? That's correct. Well, since 2019. Got it. So it's been a while, about three years. So give us a little bit of how how did that go? What was that like traveling to Japan, doing a 10-week show, I believe? Yeah, uh, it was different. And that's maybe the nicest, easiest (laughs) way to explain it. Uh, Japan was very uh, strict on who they were allowing into the country at the time. So well in advance, um, we got permission and a special invitation from the Japanese government to enter as a group. Mm -hmm. And as a result, we just kind of were there uh, taken by the hand and led everywhere. The restrictions were pretty tight, but uh, definitely worth it. And it was crazy because the people were so naturally very grateful anyway. It's mm-hmm. just the culture. But to have live entertainment back in Japan, we were the first show. And then to add to that, that we were going all over the place. We started mm-hmm. in Yuri Hanju in Akita Prefecture up north. Mm-hmm. We went all the way far as far south as uh, Hiroshima and um, Fukuoka. So we were all over the country. Got it. Did 120 shows. 430,000 people came to the show. Wow. Which was crazy. And I didn't realize how like hardcore Japan is with Disney. Because there was (laughs) something like, I don't even, I I shouldn't make up a number, but it was tens of thousands of people saw it more than once. Oh. So they saw the show. And then went to another. Went, bought another ticket to come back and see it again. Oh. 
I, my bias Actually, is that this is probably the, the best Disney on Ice show there is, but yes. uh, understandably, if it's been that long, maybe these withdrawals, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, now that you mentioned it, you know, you said you were the first live show back to start up, but throughout the 10 weeks, were more live entertainment things starting up? You know, you started seeing posters, mm-hmm. right? Advertisements. Oh, so-and-so, The Little Mermaid is coming, and it was like a stage production of it, I guess, but mm-hmm. little stuff like that. And then you start to see posters for um, concert tours and things. So mm-hmm. we were kind of the beginning, if yeah. you were, the, the spear that kind of opened everything up, I think, and then progressively, slowly, things will start. So everything more was more. still pretty much... Like stay at home. Isolate. Pretty locked down, yeah. yeah. The streets were empty, which is kind of maybe a good and bad thing. It was amazing because we went to all of these touristy sites, these temples and things like that, and there's no one there. Yeah. So it's great for photos because I, oh, there's no one here. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to Photoshop anybody out. Yes. But simultaneously, I rewind five years and you think this yeah. was packed full of people. I can't imagine having the same experience, you know, with two million people in Tokyo as opposed yeah. to, you know, probably less than a thousand tourists total or yes. whatever it was. I don't know. Yeah. Let's jump into a little bit, explain. So you've told me this before, you know, we just went to our regional conference together, right? Yeah, we we're talking yeah. a lot about this, prepping for your, your tour to Japan sure. and everything. But talk a little bit about what the Disney on Ice show is like. Yeah. Like for you as a spectator and athletic trainer watching them, right? Yeah. Of course, doing your job watching for injuries, but also just watching the show and see how miraculous some of the things that they're doing is. And then also from the perspective of an athlete, like how hard is it to be a performer to get selected for Disney on Ice, right? Because it's a top tier show that's for sure that Disney does, right? So explain a little bit about that. It's, it, well, <clears throat> so the first part is I find myself as the athletic trainer, as you said, you know, you're vigilant in watching the show or uh-huh. whatever, but you can't help but become a spectator as well. Mm-hmm. I always self-proclaimed uh, like biggest fan, right? Because. <laughs> I did the math and we were talking about it and I've seen like over 600, this show alone yeah. over 600 times. And we're like, okay, I've seen the show a lot, but rather than paying for a ticket every time, they're paying me. So I'm thinking like, this is awesome. But simultaneously as a fan, you watch and, and there are skaters and moments in the show that you genuinely just take your breath away and you're like, yeah that's choreography, that's the skater, whatever it is, and you think this is just fantastic. But the complexity of the show that I'm on, there at one point, Feld Entertainment had like 13 traveling shows simultaneously okay. around the world. Okay. Now we're up to like seven or eight, which is a lot mm-hmm. given the world, right? Uh, there's a show in Abu Dhabi right now, mm-hmm. and they had one in Australia, there's another, anyway, they're all over the place. So the idea of, of watching the skill set of these skaters, uh, often I have realized the easier it looks, not only the skater is better, yeah. but it's probably really stinking yeah. hard. Because <laughs> yes. you see somebody do something like, wow, I could do that. Like, no, 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 you couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> you think you could because they make it look so easy yes. and it's so effortless. And then you realize that young lady started skating when she was four, mm-hmm. right? And she's been doing this for a very long time. That guy started skating when he was five or four as well. And maybe he was a hockey player first, but he's been on very sharp knives on his feet for a very long time. Yes. So the ability to get to Disney on Ice is a whole audition process. And most of them have competed uh, at some level, whether internationally or domestically or whatever. 
And to be fair, like, yes, we have very, very high quality elite skaters, but this isn't the only avenue for them. Mm -hmm. As an elite professional, uh, especially if you're an Olympian, then that's a whole nother route that you take. But there's holiday on ice, there's cruise ships, there's all kinds of other scenes and and shows that you can be on if you like to perform. Uh, This isn't the only option. And that's not to say that we have the low end of the, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. I think we have probably a healthy mix if Mm -hmm. not to, you know, offend anybody, but the ensemble skaters have every right to be there just as much yeah. as the principals and the principal skaters those people who are like the stars uh, they were ensemble skaters probably at some point as well yes. and they work their way up yes. yeah so. and it's crazy too because you were trying you were explaining to me a little bit to give me a picture because I haven't seen Disney on Ice I've seen the clips on Instagram and videos <laughs> yeah. and stuff yeah. and yeah. it's a wide range of skill sets that they need because like you said you have aerialists you have people doing jumps you have people there's props too, right? They're yeah. jumping off ramps and stuff like that. For sure. Right? Yeah. So all of these different things, it's not just your traditional like figure skater or speed skater yeah. or hockey kind of movements, right? Yes. There's a whole range of like just how to pick the cast. I mean, that is something <laughs> yeah. that amazes me because there's so many things that they have to do, right? Why don't you explain yeah. a little bit about some of the variety of things that you have to care for the athlete because of yeah. that skill set or what they're on the show for. Absolutely. So the diversity in this show that I'm working on in particular uh, includes aerial silks and the Spanish okay. web, Chinese pole. Yes. Uh, previously, they had this teeterboard with a toy okay. story. So it's like a, a lot of circus performers as well. Oh. Uh, they ride hoverboards. There's trampolines. I'm trying to think if I missed any of the uh, specialty acts. And then you have your pair skaters and, and traditional figure skaters as oh. well. So as far as the props are concerned, yeah, they have these huge ice ramps they push back and forth and just uh, props on the floor. Some of them are heavier than others, right? And thankfully, touch wood, you know, there's not tons of injuries involved with that. Mm -hmm. But the aerial silks, for example, there's a whole training that if you want to be a silk performer, because what they've done is taken figure skaters and taught them how to do do aerial silks Ah. at a very rudimentary level, but they can do it enough. There's a whole training they have to go through. Upper body strength, right? These are lower extremity athletes for the most part, except for the pair of skaters, the males that are lifting. And even that presents a different dynamic because they pretty much only lift with one side. (laughs) So that's a whole nother thing. But uh, the idea that you would gain a skill set and strength for the young ladies in particular, is a whole nother just experience because they've never had to train upper body. And then that adds another layer because they say, okay, now I'm getting stronger. And they, and they look at themselves like, yeah, I feel so fit and strong. (laughs) Not that they weren't before, Uh but the number on the scale is going up and that's very hard for many of them. Performers. Right. So you say, well, wait a second. And then this is a whole re-education. Trust this process. Mm -hmm. You're stronger. And the company's asking you to be stronger to do these elements. The weight on that scale, that number is not significant to me. Yes. And as their athletic trainer and their healthcare provider, like it's a constant conversation. It's not just the girls, the Mm -hmm. guys as well. Mm -hmm. The guys mask it a little better. You know, they jump on the scale. Oh, maybe I'm over 200 today or whatever. You're like, okay, (laughs) calm down. But this idea that you can gain strength and mobility Mm -hmm. and prevent injury by doing all of this is part of the job saying you can do this and that's not a bad thing yes right uh where in their entire career they've not had access usually mm-hmm. to not only an athletic trainer but directly to healthcare provider yes so the only time you really see a doctor is if something terrible happens <laughs> yes. because most of the culture is if it's not falling off yeah keep They're going keep pushing through yes. yes yeah there's so many layers that 
we can peel back there <laughs> yeah because this is like really and i i think that's why i really like talking to you because it's like athletic trainer we understand and we can you know empathize for the same kind of si- similar situations sure. right yeah but for the person listening out there there's so much that goes into it it's not just oh this is the problem or the injury and then okay there's this protocol that you're gonna follow and then you just spit it out and you hope everything's fine right because like right there what you said is just the education of understanding like okay you're gonna start to train in this way this is how your body's gonna adapt this is what we want it to adapt but then throughout that process you know they've been it's been instilled in them right all these performing athletes performing arts that like body image mental health associated with that weight right it's been drilled into them that you have to stay at this weight and whatnot and when you have that past history of being taught that right it's not just going to go away and that's where the conversations the mental health aspect making sure that you are trying to give them the support and the resources and knowledge that they need so that they give themselves the best opportunity to stay healthy but then also be able to perform because you know like you said if they don't understand what's happening and Mm. understand what's going on through this process of what they need to train for that could spiral down into a lot of issues mentally, physically, with injuries, other things, socially too. And, you know, there's so many things that as the athletic trainer, you know, we're not psychologists, we're not mental health professionals, but we have to deal with a lot of that mental health. And of course, know what we can do to support them on a daily basis, but also know when we need to start to refer out and pick up on all of their signs and everything. But yeah, there's so many things. You right know, it's, it's funny you say that because I, I often joke, it's like, man, I should have got a second degree as like a psychologist. <laughs> you know? The sports psychology that we take and, and go through is just, yeah. you know, it's very, very elementary level yes. stuff. So in no way, like you, I, I've never claimed to be a psychologist or even qualified <laughs> yeah. in any measure. But I do say all the time, eventually you start, stop talking about the weather. <laughs> yeah. You see these people all the time, right? And I see the, my skaters, for example, and we talk about everything. Yeah. And... I'm very proud of the idea that my office has become a very safe place. Mm-hmm. If you need somewhere to just come and cry, come on in, yeah. right? I'll leave if you need, give you a minute or whatever. And then simultaneously, it's like, I just need to talk. Like, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm experiencing. Let me talk this through. So I think on the job training has kind of yeah, given me yeah. that, that resource. And so it's nice to be able to say, okay, I understand where you're coming from, at least from my experience, maybe not personally, but I can empathize because I've, I've, I've seen this before. The idea that you would go through that as a performer is kind of crazy to a lot of people, Mm -hmm. right? And it's very slippery slope because you think sometimes in the gym, for example, Mm -hmm. it's very dangerous to walk in like, Hey man, you look great. Like you look great. Keep up the good work. And that can be translated two very different ways. Like, yes. oh, thank you so much. Like, yes, I'm motivated. I'm going to keep doing it. That's true. And the other part is like, what? Well, I didn't. I didn't look good before. Yeah. Like, what are you saying? Yeah. And then this downward spiral. Like, oh, yeah. you know. Or you know, again, as you say, there's all kinds of tangents because maybe you take that and say, oh, well, if what I'm doing is good, even more is better. Yeah. And I didn't even have breakfast today, <laughs> so I'm going to start skipping meals to look yes. even better. Yes. It, it's really hard to have those conversations, mm-hmm. and I've learned, at least in my experience, thankfully from feedback from my skaters in particular, so, so you know, having those maybe those compliments a aren't even necessary, yeah. and compliments can be offered in different ways, yeah. right? Your your skate looked amazing today. Your jumps are getting so clean. Like, man, I maybe I missed it. I don't know, right? And yeah. 
knowing and understanding that world is is different but to your point mental health is a huge part of performing arts in general and then you add the component of weight management and all these other things yeah as the athletic training side to kind of bring this back we don't really get tons of like i guess education on how to handle those things and i'm not suggesting that's a bad thing that's probably one of a million things we could list of things that you just kind of figure out as you go along. Yes. I don't know what the proper coursework would be yeah. to teach a student, hey, this is what you may run into and this is how you're gonna deal with it. Yeah. Because again, that's not our scope, that's not our yeah. field. We don't, it's not our, yeah. yeah. Although it's not our field, there has been a lot more awareness, which is good for Absolutely. us as practitioners, but even for athletes too. And kind of to elaborate more on what you said, I mean, I think that for performing arts, you can tell that you've been through that with a lot of your athletes. You have the experience of seeing a wide range of things because there's no right or wrong way to interpret or go through the tour or whatever. Everyone's going to be different, right? Yeah, absolutely. But how do you make yourself, how do you make that, that journey of yours a little bit more manageable so that you can thrive and do the things that you want to do? And I think for athletes out there, even if you're not a performer, right? You're in any other sport, football, right. volleyball, basketball, you can take what you just talked about and apply that to you to understand a little bit more about how you respond to things, what kinds of things you need, what support you need. And I think for, you know, anyone in the healthcare profession, mm. especially athletic trainers will relate to this. That doesn't come like overnight. Yeah. You're not gonna <laughs> like meet the person for the first time and everything's going to go smoothly or you're going to be able to build that relationship right off the bat, right? Yeah. That happens over a course of a season, over the course of years, right? Yeah. And I think that's something that all athletic trainers have learned to develop because you can't just give a blanket statement piece of advice because like you said, if you tell someone, oh, you look great today, that is literally all, all and many more responses or reactions you're going to get to that statement, yeah. right? So it's not as easy as like, Oh, well, why don't people, from, you know, when looking from the outside, people are quick to judge or give their two cents, right? Like, oh, why didn't they just do this? Well, they don't know that situation, the yeah. context, that person, right? There's a whole background so, that comes with that. Yes, yeah. exactly. So I think for the practitioner, that just comes through experience. You know, not to say that we got it all figured out. We're still learning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But for the athlete, too, you have to understand that you need to start to communicate and get to know the person that's actually there to help you, right? And Absolutely. usually a lot of times if you're in athletics, it is gonna be an athletic trainer because we're with them so much of the time, right? Mm -hmm. So that's something to think about and for everyone that you know listens to this, I'm sure that you can take something away from. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. I will add to that that I often tell my athletes, allow me to be your advocate. Right. Yes. Specifically with the coaches. Because while usually the athletic trainer is your point of contact, right? Mm -hmm. That tends to be to your point where you kind of vent and you express how you're feeling, what you're going through without fear of repercussion of playing time yes. or starting position or whatever the case mm -hmm. may be. And so I, I openly invite that conversation yeah. because said, I can't advocate for your coaches. Yeah. Oh man, Andrew was playing so crap today. What's going on? I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah. let me give you a little bit without divulging everything. Like there's a reason for some of this, right? Yes. Let, let's have this conversation. So you don't have to have that. Let me advocate for you. Mm -hmm. And maybe we have to modify, you know, what you're doing. Yes. And there's a reason we've modified this. I've had this conversation as a peer for them rather than as, a, as your athlete or whatever. Yes. Does that make sense? That, yeah. So that's kind of where I that's, take that as well. That's huge too. And I think, um, 
listeners out there that are not too familiar with athletic training, yeah. you realize how many different hats we wear. <laughs> because yeah. then it's the yeah. communication with the coach. Or, yeah. you know, like if you don't have that good rapport, then again, there's a piece of the puzzle that's not working as or functioning as well. And that could be problematic for the athlete again, because for it's sure. all about making sure the athlete is safe and they can perform to the best of their capabilities. Every time. Bridging that gap, let's transition over a little bit. We talked a little bit about this in the first episode, I believe. But real briefly, why don't you explain the common things that you've seen on tour? Because like you told me, to give a little backstory, there's not too many... I mean, there's a lot of people on tour, but like 80 people to perform 120 shows, you can't have people getting injured left and right and not performing because then the show won't go on, right? Obviously, they're going to call more people if that should happen. But ideally, you don't want that to happen. And typically, it doesn't, right? Knock on wood. Yeah, exactly. But explain a little bit about what kinds of injuries are you typically seeing a lot of? What are you dealing with? (laughs) And then... We have a lot of ways that we can branch off of that to (laughs) explain to people how to get this person from the injured states, overcome that obstacle and make sure that not only they physically can perform, Mm -hmm. but they have to be able to do it confidently because most people that try anything like this, you are not going to feel confident if you're injured. Absolutely. So anyway, why don't you explain a little bit about the injuries first? Yeah. So I think the number one injury uh, that I see anyway is just like normal strains and sprains. And it's, uh, I can speak a little bit about that in that normally it's a hamstring or a lower back or something like shoulder, just tired overuse injuries more than anything. Uh, so a lot of that is maintenance. We use the compression like through Normatec and, mm-hmm. and things like that to help recovery. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that's just overuse. Like I said, 120 shows in 10 weeks is a lot of shows. And to go through 10 different cities over and over and over and do all these things is a lot and it's just wear and tear. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, those acute injuries that maybe you see in other uh, sports, mm-hmm. yes, we have them and they're crazy when they do. But uh, the idea that you would have uh, an overuse injury is fairly common. Mm-hmm. In that same breath, this is a very like suck it up and tough it out mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. If you have uh, bunions or you know whatever, they yeah. have this thing called lace bite, and okay. s- skaters will know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. But it's it's right on the lace. You know we use heel and lace pads and we, yeah. we tape. It's a pain right there, and there's literally nothing you can do. It's just one of those things you just kind of have to tough it out. Lidocaine creams and, and Voltaren anti-inflammatory yeah. creams, like can maybe it's a Band-Aid, uh, yeah. forgive the term. But it's one of those things you just kind of have to tough it out. And I've asked veteran skaters and new skaters, like, what can I do to help? Yeah. And the response every time is, there's nothing you can do. Like, that's just part of what it is. Yeah. Maybe it's same as like equipment fitting or whatever. And your shoulder pads, like, man, these are really heavy. How do I help? There's nothing you do. You just mm. deal with it. So from a culture where injuries like that there's nothing you can do and they've been conditioned to that. It's like wearing a brand new pair of skates as well. They break mm-hmm. them in. Mm-hmm. This takes time and it's not an overnight thing. Some people yeah. can break in a pair of skates in a couple of days and others it takes weeks. Yeah. They walk around their room uh, in the carpet, you know, oh. trying to break them in. Uh, but it's this fine line and they've dialed it in. It's kind of magical where they say, okay, now it's perfectly broken in <laughs> and it can break down too much. So uh. the injuries that come with that, you know, oh, my ankle and like, okay, what's going on? Do your, do your skates need to be sharpened? Is the ice, because there's traditional like regular ice and there's what they call mm. tank ice, which is like an artificial. It's the difference between grass and turf, for example. Oh. Some people prefer the turf, yep. the, uh, the tank ice, and some people don't, just depends. But now my ankle is really sore. 
So we gather this history, like what's going on, what's changed. And sometimes it's my boots just too broken down. Mm. I need new boots. I need new skates, whatever, but, but I'll be fine. And I'm not exaggerating when I tell you, like if the boot breaks down there, the the tradition is like, get some tape, like E-tape and just strap it down super tight. So they just cinch down their skate. Like you're spatting it. Basically, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So like, I'm just gonna spat this thing and tape it down really tight. No, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm just whatever. Like, well, hang on a second. We have other ways. But sometimes you don't because they're molded uh, perfectly to their foot. Yeah. So anytime I would say in a cleat or a boot or a, for another athlete, like, oh, we can put like some padding in there. Mm. Like you have some heels, we'll give you a gel cup to put underneath there. Yeah. There's no room in a figure yeah. skate to do that. So a lot of those injuries is kind of having that conversation. Tell me what I can do for you. Because yeah. sometimes a second skin little square is all you're gonna get because there's no room for anything else and that may or may not help, I don't know. In my experience now, you can kind of see some of that stuff and you say, okay, this is what I've done, let's try this and then you're just this magician like, oh, I didn't even know you could do that and that's amazing, it works, so high five and you're off and whatever. Uh, But other times, things come in, you're like, I've never seen that. Like the the lace bite one was very new to me and I was like, I've never even, you would never see that in any other sport. Yes. Maybe hockey, if I was a hockey, if I'd worked a lot of hockey, yeah. but having never done that either, Got it. it was just weird. So anyway, I guess to your to your question, a lot of sprains and strains are traditional, mm-hmm. typical injuries, Got but it. the whole progression of coming back, I think was the second part of your conversation in return to play, yes. is understanding, okay, if you allow me to modify your track, uh-huh. we can help you get back by doing that. Jumping hurts. Well, let's have you do rolls that you don't have to jump mm-hmm. until you feel confident in your skating that you can jump again. Mm-hmm. Until then, you don't have to be out of the show entirely. No. We can still work, right? Yes. And we see that in practices yes. in any other sport as well. You don't necessarily have to do everything, but we can still keep you active and part of the team and practice or whatever. And you may be out, but you're still part of the team, so to yeah. speak. The crazy part is rewind six years, uh-huh. Disney on ice and for a lot of performing artists didn't have access to an athletic trainer. Yes. So it was, you're injured, you're out and you go to the doctor. So then we come into workers' compensation and we kind yes. of, I think last time we spoke a little, very briefly about a little it, bit, yeah. but the idea is you would be referred by the performance director, which is essentially the head coach. Mm-hmm. And he or she would say, okay, like we're gonna send you to the doctor. And then if you're unlucky and you show up to a general practitioner, you'd be like, oh, ankle sprain, six to eight weeks, yeah, and then you're good. Not, and then that skater's done. Yeah. And there's nothing, there's no argument, right? I always say like, there, very few people trump the doctor. Mom is one, right? <laughs> It, the letters behind the doctor's name are very powerful, but M-O-M trumps everybody, <laughs> yeah. right? So yes. if you cannot skate because the doctor said you're done, mm-hmm. well, there's no advocate. There's no mm-hmm. partial duty. Yeah. You can't modify duty, whatever, right? But now with the insertion of an athletic trainer, I can again advocate and say, okay, you're injured, but you can't. you think you can do everything you want to do, but I'm telling you, if you trust me, Give me a little bit of time to help you rehab this. When you do go back full strength, magically, you're going to be really, really good. And you're not going to have to question, will my ankle hold up? Will my shoulder give out on me when I go to lift my partner? Whatever the case may be. So to your initial point, like having established this relationship of trust is massive on so many different levels. And we get preached that all the time in school. Establish a relationship with your athletes and have these conversations. 
and I tell them all the time, you are an expert at what you do, yes. right? There are very few people on this planet that can do what you can do. Yes. There's tons of people that can do what I do <laughs> and far better than me, yeah. but I need you to trust that I have a slight understanding greater than you mm-hmm. and trust me when I tell you this is what I think is gonna work best. Yes. Thankfully, most of the time it has been to you know our advantage, both, our, both sides. Mm-hmm. Being correct and helping them yes. only builds that trust more. Yes. So if it ever happens or something else happens, immediately come to me yes right? and that's what you want there's so many great things that you said right there sorry just no that, that's <laughs> awesome yeah so for anyone listening out there right everything that you just summed up and that's just a snippet like tip of the iceberg of the things <laughs> yeah. that you're thinking about right when they sustain an injury but when you're trying to train them to get back to the performance or the you know position that they need to right they need to perform at right and for anyone out there that is the value of having an athletic trainer, I think. And that's the value of being in some type of performing arts or competitive athletics with an athletic trainer. Because even if you were to see like your physician or, or whoever it is to evaluate you, right? Yes, they're gonna do a great job for you. But everything that you just explained, no one can get all of that unless you're in there. And I think that's the one thing that athletes need to understand is that the only people that are around me that have this kind of healthcare background, they're the ones that might fully, not even fully understand, I won't say that, but they're the ones that's gonna understand the most about what happened to me, what I need to get back to, and kind of the process and the roadmap to lay out for me. Absolutely. And I think everyone needs to kind of have that perspective because even if you said that to me, right? I work with a lot of athletes. I work with a lot of you know ground sport, ball sport athletes. I have never worked with anyone on ice. So as you're saying that, I know that I wouldn't know what to do. As you're telling me what lace bite is, I'm like, what is that? You know, but now <laughs> yeah. as you explain yeah. it, it's like, okay, I have an understanding for it, but I still don't have a thorough understanding where I would know how to treat or how to help them or whatever, even how to have that conversation with them, right? Yeah. So I think everyone needs to know that everyone that helps you, you need to find out how that's gonna fit into one, you taking control and doing the things that you can control to get yourself better, but also who's gonna be the support system around you? Because if you go to see, I'll use myself, if they came to see me after an ankle sprain and things like that, and then you know whatever I would normally do for an ankle sprain that might not work with their skates, that's not gonna work, right? right. So I wouldn't know how to fully take care of them. Mm. But when you go to someone else that doesn't deal with ice skaters, but maybe doesn't even deal with athletes, period, right? Then it's a whole different conversation. I think that's where a lot of the disconnect is, is that not everyone's going to have the same strengths as far as practitioners. And for practitioners, I'm really biased and I truly believe this. You have to know what you don't know. Absolutely. You can't just like, you know, fake it till you make it all the way (laughs) and then then cause more detriment than good, right? right? And then for the athlete, you have to realize that not every single practitioner too is going to have the experience necessary to help you. Mm. So there's a lot of things that factor in again to making sure that one, you get the proper care, but two, you actually can rehab and train to get back to your activity. For sure. And let's lead into that a little bit. So there's a lot, I think we both can talk about this from from insurance side, healthcare system side. And it's again, nothing to bash on the healthcare system. I think the healthcare system does a lot of good, but you have to know where the healthcare system is going to cut you off, what its limitations are. Mm -hmm. And is that enough 
for me to get back to everything that I want to do in my life. Right. And the healthcare system is not, their responsibility is not to make sure that you can do the aerial silks on ice, you know, because most people don't need to do that level of activity. <laughs> yeah. But if that's what your passion is, right, how do you get back after injury, significant or small, how do you get back to all of that? Right. So why don't you start? You mentioned it a little bit already, but why don't you start about how you kind of bridge that gap especially when it comes to workers comp because this yeah. is their professional job like any other job if you get injured on the job you're gonna have to get adequate care so that you can return back to work yeah. the only difference here which i need to make perfectly clear is when you're a <laughs> professional athlete it's not just getting back to daily activities where you're walking around carrying some light stuff maybe moving around the office being able to sit for eight hours it's no this this person needs to be able to do that portion of the show for four minutes and do all of this intense activity and how do we make sure that they can get back to that right so yeah. talk a little bit about wherever you want to start sure about that process that you have to deal with from injury dealing with workers comp and then getting them back to their profession back to work yeah. uh it probably starts at the show level mm -hmm. and by that i mean uh, as i already said it, before the in, insertion of athletic trainers to these shows the conversation was very straightforward here's a piece of paper go it's workers comp injury because you were injured on the job we don't know what it was all you know is your back hurts or your ankle or hamstring or whatever mm -hmm. sometimes this conversation with me is a peace of mind mm -hmm. my knee doesn't feel right can you check it out mm -hmm. no problem do it eval everything looks good mm -hmm. i understand that it's hurt but structurally your knee is solid mm -hmm. okay whew, good i'm back and they got no problem they go skate and you never see them again mm -hmm. but this idea that workers compensation is involved is double-sided because it protects the employer yes. right and saying okay we're doing our due diligence to make sure that you're taken care of mm -hmm. and then it also affects the bottom line because as i said if you're out six weeks that's a that's a big hit to the show, right? Whatever show it may be, it's a big shit hit a hit to your uh, team if you're a professional yes. ball sport player, right? Basketball, football, like six games as an NFL player is a ton of money. Mm -hmm. So the bottom line is always a factor here. The flip side, and what we try to do is to explain: Listen, if I'm not here, mm -hmm. here's the numbers on how much money you would have spent mm -hmm. for that peace of mind, yes. that doctor visit alone to tell you you've a strained hamstring. Mm -hmm. We can wrap that. Mm -hmm. I, I got an elastic wrap and, and you won't feel it. We're going to modify your track for a, a week or so and you'll be fine. Then you'll take it off and probably not tell me, of course, and then you'll be <laughs> fine, right? But the idea of workers' compensation and going in saying, we can get you to functional. And maybe it's a really terrible analogy, but I always say that the idea and the difference between a physical therapist and athletic trainer, mm -hmm. while many of the things that we do overlap, mm -hmm. is that we're taking you from an injury to a functional perform functional state. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between functional and performance. Yes. Right? So as an athletic trainer, having access to one in your high school, college, pro mm -hmm. team or otherwise is massive because workers' compensation has usually a delineated set of visits to a physical therapist mm -hmm. and how much time you can be seen. Yes. And whatever that is, they've delineated is sufficient time for this cookie cutter injury to be functional and be able to return to active daily living, mm -hmm. right? That becomes complicated in a performing arts setting or professional sports setting to saying, okay, cool, you can walk. <laughs> 
Guess what? Your job requires you to do more than that. Yes. I need you to jump on uh, knives on your feet on ice <laughs> and to do it repeatedly, repeatedly over and over and over for an extended amount of time. So that's not going to cut it. So to your point, the idea of workers' compensation, I think every healthcare system has its flaws. None of them are perfect, mm -hmm. socialized or otherwise. But this idea that we can say, yes, take advantage of that. Go see a physical therapist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, whatever modality helps you most. I always advocate if it helps you, do it. Yes. I don't hate on anybody mm -hmm. because some people get a ton out of KT taping and yep. some it doesn't do anything for. And the same for chiropractics or any other practitioner, uh, a practice. So for workers' compensation, it's incredibly valuable to me because there's a massive liability taken away mm -hmm. and saying, okay, a physician has seen you and maybe even a specialist and they've said, this is what you can't do. And so this isn't Jay being the bad guy. Mm -hmm. These guys know way more than me and that doesn't take much, but they know a lot more than me and they're saying you're out. So now I can say, you went and this is all we can do, right? The flip side to that, sometimes it does bite you as a performer or as an athlete to say, okay, I went to the doc and they said this, and I'm looking at it as their athletic trainer saying, huh, that's ridiculous. Yeah. There's no need for that. And while yes, I concede to the proverbial higher power here, mm -hmm. let me have a conversation with you. Mm -hmm. So there's a reason I watch every single show, yeah. right? Yes. And I can see I know what Andrew has to do on the ice mm -hmm. or the field or whatever. I know what his job is and what his role is. So let me go speak. Again, I'm an advocate. Let me speak to the physician here. I'm going to go with you. Oftentimes, if they have to go to, to uh, see a workers' comp doc, I prefer to go with them. My colleagues may disagree with that, but for <laughs> me, there's peace of mind, just like the athlete gets, when I say, let me speak the language, so to speak, yes. right? If I can sit down and say, hey, listen, this girl or this guy is incredibly valuable and here's why. You may see that as an ankle sprain, but I'm going to tell you, in addition to what this performer is not telling you, yep, he exactly. has to do this and this and this and this. And the doc says, oh, yes. okay. So now there's more to this conversation. The picture has been painted. Normally, and I use that, I guess, a bit loosely, but normally an athlete goes in and says, this is what I do. I don't know, my ankle hurts or whatever yeah. it is. I hurt my finger, my shoulder. And the doc says that and sees that rather and says, okay, cool, we'll send you on your way. Mm -hmm. But that added step with a worker's comp, in my experience, it's one thing to say, go see a sports med doc. Yep. You're like, mm, they're not in our network and there's all this <laughs> other stuff, right? Yes. To your point, you're talking about the healthcare system. It's built not, it's not specifically built to treat and care for the demographic that we work with. Yes. There's, where do we start? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This could be, I, I'm serious. This could be a podcast in itself. By itself. Where I could, like every, if you told me, talk about how to care for athletes and all of the things that you just mentioned, yeah. we literally could go on like 200 episodes. Easy. So we are going to <laughs> condense this, but I think this is giving the listener some of the things that we're considering, some of the common factors. Mm. And there's so many things that we can break off of. But the first thing that I'll start with, what you ended with was that, the healthcare system is not built for athletes. Right. That is 100% true. That is why, one, we have a job and a profession. <laughs> yeah. But that is why when you look at higher level athletics, they brought the healthcare system in-house in the department. And that's what really athletic trainers are, team physicians are. You're going to have team, whatever specialty you need. They're going to be the consultants or either hired by that we'll even go college, high school, um, of course, professional, right? And it's because 
again, it's not taking advantage of the healthcare system, but it's working with the regulations of the healthcare system and doing all of the extra bonus things on top of that to make sure that the athlete can return to whatever they need to do. Right. The second thing that sticks out is that, again, we're kind of that middleman, I guess, or filling in the gaps because the athlete, they're very good at their sport. That's what they should be at. They shouldn't be having to learn, how do I communicate with physicians? What is important? Like what kind of information do I need to pay attention to, to recover? You know, how do I express this to the medical personnel, right? right. They're not trained to do that. We're trained to do that, right? <laughs> yeah. Everyone's gonna have their strengths and weaknesses. And I think if you understand, I've said this over and over, if you understand how your strength fits into their piece of their puzzle, that is what's gonna give them the best chance to get back, yes. right? And the same thing goes for physicians. You know, physicians, they're great, right? Physicians aren't strength coaches. Right. Physicians are not rehab specialists. They're not the ones there watching every practice in games. You know, like people might disagree with me, but that's the underlying truth. If you think that you can Absolutely. do all of that, then you have a very skewed perspective of your <laughs> That skill comes set. back to knowing what you don't yes, know. Yes, yeah. exactly. And I'll be the first one to say, I'm not a physician. I'm definitely not a surgeon, you know, like <laughs> yeah. that I know that, right? Yeah. So it's like you defer and you communicate, collaborate with the people that have that strength. Yeah. But also you need to understand how everyone fits into this piece of the pie, right? Mm. And that is something I've been there many times in the doctor's office or after when the athlete communicates, it's like they don't really have a good picture as to what you need to do. Yes, right. they understand, oh, you do jumps on ice. They don't understand to the complexity that you do jumps on ice. And exactly. you can ask any skater out there, you could have like a high school that can do, high school athlete that can do jumps on ice, right? Yeah. Or you could have someone at your level, maybe even Olympic level, doing jumps on ice. They're two completely different <laughs> yeah. degrees of the task, even though it's the same task that you're yeah, jumping on ice. Exactly. So I think that's another thing for the athlete is that, whenever we're there to kind of communicate and fill in the gaps again i think we need to be within our own scope and within our own lane but i would say that's one of the strengths of athletic trainers is because we see so much of the picture we can kind of use our best professional judgment to piece everything together and make sense okay this is what the doctor's saying but he's not seeing this right mm -hmm. this is what whoever's seeing the physical therapist but then again they might not be seeing what you're doing in strength and conditioning there's a gap there there's a disconnect you know all of these things this is what the strength coach is saying and you know we have to make sure that he's following the things that follow sound principles of sports medicine you know yeah. you're not you're not training in a productive way right so there's so many things but i don't want to get off tangent <laughs> but going back to your initial question or initial comments right is that there's limitations to work comp right again you being functional where you can even do leisurely activities that's still a long ways away from being back to performing strength and conditioning, being back to performing capabilities and all of that. So that is something that I will say is a limitation of our healthcare system because it's not gonna cover you back to that. No. That might be way too long for you know any company, insurance company to wanna cover because again, you need to go seek outside services to make that happen. Right. You have anything to add on that kind of bridging that gap yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because I have I work with a lot of skaters from Canada, for example. Okay. And with socialized medicine, you can go see a doctor yep. anytime you want. But if your ACL is torn, you're going to wait. 
and you may wait a very long time because that is not a that is an elective surgery yes you can walk around and have a fully functioning life yeah. and for some yeah. people more than functional life yeah. without an acl yeah. i talked uh, years ago i talked to sunny garcia he's a professional surfer yes. no acl yeah. right so this yeah. idea that uh, something like that that we in sports medicine see that's like oh you got to get that fixed yep. because for many people if that's your livelihood it is absolutely essential it's not elective thing I have to have this mm-hmm. for some people it's, I guess back in the day that was a career ender right mm-hmm. but now with advancements we say okay well we can we can yep. elongate your career or whatever uh, but again the limitations of, of that kind of a healthcare system exist as well yes we recognize you've done this and yes you can get it taken care of and we will but it may take a year or two yeah. and then you say well now I've got two seasons probably three with rehab and everything else where that's not always the case, right? Mm-hmm. Especially within the American healthcare system, mm-hmm. we can say, okay, yeah, we can get that fixed. It's gonna cost you a ton of money, yes. and hopefully insurance takes care of that and helps in mm-hmm. some measure. But you know, I, I, as you're saying all of this, I'm thinking, yeah, 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 I completely agree. Mm-hmm. And, and to, to put it in maybe perspective locally, mm-hmm. that's a massive reason of why you're doing what you do, yes. right? There's a big gap. There's a big gap. I help with people who are contracted through the company that I work for, mm-hmm. right? And these are my athletes. Yeah. You're dealing with people that they probably, while they're sponsored and they have help from mm-hmm. various sources, they're gonna be like, yeah, we're not, we're not gonna pay for that. Yes. So the idea that an elite athlete or an aspiring elite athlete mm-hmm. would seek out that care, the services that you offer are not abundant, yes. nor are they everywhere. And they're certainly not at the level that you offer. So for anyone listening and saying, mm-hmm. well, I don't have that in my setting, yes. this is, insert what you're doing yes right and that is so true because and that has been fortunately i've been put in positions in my career to bridge that gap from you know okay insurance says you're cut off you've exhausted your insurance coverage and now it's like well you have all of this that you have to go and people think that oh i can just jump back into team strength and conditioning mm. no there's still a huge gap there yeah from the time let's say you get any surgery or not even surgery even if you had like severe tendonitis that kept you out right yeah thrower in the shoulder, knees for jumpers, right? You had severe tendonitis. Once you get back to functional, you still have a, a big gap to fill before you can do like team intense training again. Yes. And I think that's something that, if there's one take home message from this episode, is insurance won't fill that gap. No. And unfortunately, I mean, it makes sense. Insurance money, insurance companies need to make money, right? The healthcare system needs to make money to make sure that you're getting high level healthcare, right? So that's how the system is set up. But again, if you're an athlete, like we said, it's not meant for athletes. Right. So you need to understand that if I'm recovering or rehabbing from something significant, I need to have this continuum or gradual progress that doesn't skip any steps or you know, you jump too many bridges or gaps that if you do that, it's going to cause more detriment or trouble in the long run. You need to make sure that you have all of these, these progressions that you can do. And the, and the thing that we talked about earlier is that's where kind of in-house healthcare or athletic trainers come into play. Because if you look at professional athletes, co- collegiate athletes, especially bigger schools, right? Mm. They're all doing this in-house. Yeah. Insurance is not covering this all the way till they're like, oh, you're playing your first game. <laughs> Yes. I wish I saw that money. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. that's where I think for the average person, we're going to bring it back to the general public because I've worked in a clinic 
I, that's what we specialized in going from like post-surgery or significant injury all the way back to return to play. Mm. And what we see is that with private insurance, you could have the best private insurance in the United States. You're still not going to get a lot of covers, right. coverage. After surgery, most insurances, they're only covering like three months worth of PT. I mean, if you have like Medicare or something, you know, for the older population, yeah, sometimes they keep it going, but still yet there's all of these things that you have to do, like hoops that you have to jump through to keep it going, right? And that is not as common as I think the general, the average person, it's like, you're gonna get cut off and insurance knows that's not enough to get you back to higher levels of activity, right? but they know that's enough for you to function in daily life. And that's kind of where, I think the misconception lies. So the take home message is that there's a lot more that needs to be done. You cannot think that, oh, because insurance stopped my coverage, I must be good. And you won't believe how many times I've run into that or had that conversation. Yeah. Because people think, oh, well, insurance isn't covering it anymore. So don't I, I don't need to do this anymore. I'm but healed. that is, yeah. that is, I mean, if you want to do it that way, great, but then you're missing the boat with the perspective of your overall health and yeah, that's that's the problem. Is it's it? I mean, it's not great. It's not. It's not great. If that's your view, you're missing huge. Like, uh, understand, insurance is a business. Yes. First and foremost, this is not any measure of like, oh, we are looking out for the general health of our population or whatever it is, right? And they're out to make money. Workers' compensation is no different. We have, I have had personal experience where I will submit a claim to workers' compensation and they say, prove it. I don't know that what you're telling me actually happened. So they have this, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you, it's a 10 page thing that says, it's called the written statement of fact. And I don't think that's exclusive to the insurance and workers' compensation that mm-hmm. we use that says, okay, we'd like some more information about this. Yes. Because looking at what you've reported, uh, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Which is why I tell my athletes, I need a detailed explanation of what happened. Yes. And I'll speak through that a little bit and say, okay, you fell down doing a jump is not gonna cut it. Yeah, that's right? not. So, <laughs> it. Yeah. But then to take another step to your point, right? This idea that you say, okay, we as an insurance company deem that three months is sufficient time. This is them washing their hands of liability. Mm -hmm. The data suggests that after three months of rehab and physical therapy, as long as you are adherent to the protocols that are being offered to you from our physical therapist Mm -hmm. or whomever your practitioner is, that is sufficient time to be functional and you are air quote recovered, right? As that progresses, I think the patient regular demographic or athlete will look at that and say, well, that's what they're saying, but you don't as an athlete or regular person realize the people establishing these protocols, they have no idea A, what you do, or B, what is maybe realistic, right? They're saying, these are numbers, and this is as close to that line that we can get and still make money. Yes. As I said, it is a business business first and foremost. Yes. I can't agree more. It is a business. And I think that's what people need to understand too. And to elaborate on that a little bit more, again, like how I briefly mentioned that, you know, everyone's going to have their strengths, right? Everyone that's helping you recover or train or whatever it is, everyone's going to have their strength. Mm -hmm. It fits into that piece of the puzzle again. Insurance, whether work comp adjusters, insurance adjusters, whoever's looking through your file, Mm -hmm. right? Because again, they have to make sure that they're again a business. They're trying to run a business. They have right. to make sure everything's legit, right? Yeah. You can't be insurance fraud, right? Or, totally makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So it makes sense. The people that are 
like you said, if they look at your case, let's say ACL surgery, and they're like, okay, we're gonna give you three months, maybe a few sessions in that fourth month, and then that's it. Again, they're looking at just normative data, kind of making a ballpark estimate as what makes sense for them to cover for every single person with this case. Right. The one thing that I wanna stress is, and there might be some out there that might be a few, far and few from you know the vast majority, those people making that decisions, they are not medical professionals. Right. They are trained to look at the file, use whatever system that they have, right, to spit out, okay, this is what's gonna happen based off of how the progress is going, based off of the history, based off of all these things. They don't know what it takes to rehab from an ACL. Right. I mean, unless they suffered an ACL themselves, but then most of them don't know. So that is where Again, the system does a lot of good because I think it covers a lot of costs that need to be covered. Mm -hmm. But for the general population, for anyone that's active out there, if you go through the system, you're gonna know that, okay, this is the first step, a stepping stone that I can use to get me better. And then from there, okay, what's the next step? I think that's the one thing I keep saying over and over again, but what's the next step? How do I take what I built that foundation that I regained, how do I build off of that and go to the next step? Then how do I gradually go to the next step? Because if you don't do that, that's where the medical system just kind of feeds you through the loop. It's sure, like yeah. you do some type of rehab for the general population, right? And they're like, okay, you're good to go. Nothing else is covered. Try to do it at home. You and me both know that no matter how much you try at home, it's different when you have someone actually guiding you through a process with experience. Right. So then you go home, try to do whatever, jump back into activities, kind of get either the same issue arise or another issue arise, then you're back into the system again, right? Yeah. And that's kind of this vicious circle where I'm not saying it doesn't happen in athletics too, it does. But again, we're hopefully giving them as much of the resources and support that they need so that we're minimizing that risk. Granted, sure. the activity level that a lot of these people are competing at, that's more risk than the general public. Right. But still yet, you need to understand that there is going to be this continuum that only you and the people around you helping you rehab and train are really going to understand what you need. Because not everyone's case is the same, but also not every case through the healthcare system is going to cover everyone the same, unfortunately. Absolutely. And that is where... I think that's the biggest misconception that if anyone takes away something is like understanding that point again is yeah. that don't limit your healthcare coverage or your rehab coverage to just what your insurance is going to cover. Yeah, I, I think the the mirror or the other side of the coin, so to speak, in athletics is this idea that you start as an amateur at, at mm -hmm. whatever level, yes. right? You're learning the sport, you're playing catch with somebody and you're learning just basic mechanics of throwing and aiming or whatever. And at some point you may go to a camp or you may go to a specialized a specialist in throwing and pitching or whatever the case may be, right? Or in, in ice skating, they have jumping coaches, mm -hmm. they have skill coaches, they have choreographers, there's all these building blocks, just like in your air quote traditional sports. You have strength and conditioning coaches and you have line coaches or whatever it is, right? So this idea that it's a, a forgive the term, but lifelong learning, right? Yes. In athletics, for the athlete to kind of process this, it's the same in your skill, right? As an athlete, you continually work on your skill and you're like, mm -hmm. yeah, you can play basketball, but can you play basketball at an elite college, high school? Are you JV or varsity? There's a big mm -hmm. jump there. Yes. And from varsity to D3, D2, D1, NBA, on and on and on, right? And there are guys in the NBA that 
I guarantee you there are people, there are guys that play basketball better than some of the NBA guys, but because of opportunities and things, they've, mm-hmm. they've made it, right? Mm-hmm. That's not to say that these are the best in the world, but they're right up there. Yeah. And I talk a lot of trash because I'm not an NBA player, obviously, <laughs> but the, the principle is the same. These guys continually work. Mm-hmm. To think that you've made it, right? If an NBA guy gets hurt and he comes back, yeah, you can play basketball again. Can you play at the level you used to? Yes. No. So there's still steps that need yes. to be taken. As a normal person, general population, yes, you can function. But can you function the way that you used to? And maybe the only other thing I would add is you have to, as a, a human being in general, male, female, or otherwise, as far as like where your skill set is or what you're being asked mm-hmm. to do, you need to identify what your goal is. Yeah. If And we talk about that all the time in athletic training. You need to establish a goal. In, in health and fitness in general, establishing goals is a big part of this. So the idea that you say, I, as your athletic trainer, want you to be able to do this. And as the athlete, you say, that's awesome. I'm good not doing that. Like I, yeah. Maybe I'm on my, my, on my way out, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. don't push me to yeah. do something I'm not trying to get back to. My experience is that every athlete wants to be as best as they can, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's a little different at the lower levels in high school mm-hmm. and whatever. I mean, I'm in guitar class right after this, right? I got to go <laughs> home and do my math homework, whatever. So yeah. this focus isn't exclusively on how do I get the most out of my body and, and mm-hmm. being an elite athlete. But as we progress and develop, maybe your normal population says, yeah, I can go back to the work, job site and work, or I can go back to my desk or whatever it is. Will I be in pain? How long will that last? And to your point, will this lead to other things? The normal person, I feel bad saying normal person so much, but you probably can't figure that out on your own. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of the pride that you have to swallow in saying, I'm going to lean on an understanding of someone other than my own to say, can I do this on my own? Am I gonna go home and do these exercises the PT yeah. gave me? Here's a folder of exercises. There's different than Andrew's watching you. He's counting. He's correcting your your form. Mm-hmm. He's adjusting things accordingly. Yeah, you're supposed to do three sets of ten. You're not there. Yes. Let me modify this for you and help you. Yep. And again, trust that I can help you. And that's the whole goal, right? That is the whole goal. There, uh, everything is. This is <laughs> sorry. No, this is this is. I I enjoy this conversation because this is right up our alleys, right? Yeah. And I mean, there's so many great things that you said right there because. Again, it's not saying that the average person can't do it. I think the average person is at a disadvantage because they don't have the resources available to athletics. Right. And again, you see that happen and there's more resources around the higher in athletics you go. Mm. There's more money around the higher athletics you go. I mean, even just more money recently, at risk right? As well. there's college students can sign NILs now and then you know get paid for these things. Yeah. So money kind of drives the resources around it but also like what you said the level at which you whether that's physically or developing mentally developing to professional athletes or even athletes that i would say are very competitive even though you're not at that tier of professional athlete what you're trying to train for and accomplish is very different and that mindset too is very different absolutely so that is something that again everybody's going to be different Everyone, all my athletes and clients, I always tell them, this is what you want to do. It's not what I think is good for you. It's what you want to do. And I think that's the, you have to take a step back. Whenever you're experiencing any setbacks, pain, injuries, you have to think, what is it that you truly want to do? And not, I guess, be completely honest with yourself. You have to 
explain to yourself not what you want to cope or deal with like what do you really want to do mm. because most people if you're experiencing pain and you want to do something without pain it's not a question of oh i can deal with it though i'm fine that's not the question it's like what do you want to do because there's so many things that you can do resources out there professionals you can work with to help you get back on that track if it is like oh yeah i just want to go up and down stairs pain-free great let's work towards that don't put limitations of what the healthcare is covering in the way don't put you know well i'm just getting older or whatever it is yeah there's certain things that sometimes we can't work around or change but there's also a lot of things that you can do to take care of your body right and that's kind of the bottom line with everything is to look inside what do you really want to do what kind of lifestyle do you want to live and then try to see like you have to put in the work no one else can put in the work for you it's not like you can lie down on a table and then someone's gonna fix you right it's like you're gonna have to yeah there's things that might help but at the end of the day you're gonna have to realize what do i need to do to get back to that activity and like you said as all of us as humans we're talking a lot about athletes but all of us want to move to some extent. Sure. You need to move just to get out of bed. You need to move to put on your clothes. You need to move to get to class or whatever it is, right? You can't just say, well, I have so many restrictions and limitations. No one can really help me out. And then just start to narrow the bubble of activities that you're participating in. Because at the end of the day, I really want to say that no one truly deep down inside want, wants that, right? Yeah, like, exactly. To some extent, you want to be able to live life how you want to do. Yeah. Again, it might not be playing sports, but still, yeah, movement is a part of life. I absolutely. Yes. It's funny because I, in my mind, as you're saying something, I have athletes that absolutely think that. And uh-huh. I will quote them by saying they come in and say, Jay, fix me. Yes. Right. And I'm, it's always this back and forth. Right. And they think I'm, well, I don't know. I've not actually asked them, but I think the conversation is very much, as you can imagine, most athletic trainers, the first question is, okay, awesome. What have you already done? And I have a couple like layers of why I ask that. Right. Mm -hmm. One, I don't want to be redundant. Like, all right, let's, you know, stretch you out. Yeah. I already did that. Yeah. So let's not waste time. What have you already done? And most, many times like, yeah, nothing. Yeah. Like, okay. So the follow up is like, why? Yeah. <laughs> Does it not hurt that bad? Yeah. Like what, uh, did you not think about it? Did you take some Advil? Like, did you put some ice on it? What if, you know, yeah. help me out, help me help you. Mm-hmm. So this idea of like, fix me and I don't want to do anything. Yeah. I'm not throwing my, my athletes under the bus, yeah, yeah. but that's, that's kind of the joke is like, okay, I'm just going to lay here, make it better. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, okay, I can only do so much. You got to help me out here. Yes. I'm happy to do whatever I can. But I can't be doing this every single time when a very small effort on your part would probably go a long way. way. And having that conversation sometimes is just all it takes. Like, yeah, Yeah. you're right. I could probably help you out here and do this. I don't want to. I'm really tired or whatever. But anyway, that that kind of struck me as funny. I I get that a lot. I think we... In all levels of athletics, you're going to get that. So don't think that like professional athletes are like on this pedestal that (laughs) everything's perfect. No, like (laughs) even going back to what you said in the beginning of the episode, right? With the mental aspect of that weight example, right? Again, most professional athletes are going to have all of the normal feelings and emotions that we all have. Sure. Doubt, you know, frustrations, all of these insecurities. So I think if there's one thing after listening to us ramble for another hour, right? (laughs) It's like... There's so many things that we're thinking about. And again, you only can get this with professionals. Uh, both of us, we're kind of like mid-career. I would yeah. Say. But it's been where we've 
learn from our past experiences. And these are all the realities of what we're all taking into consideration and why it's not so easy to like just step in and take our job or cover. Yeah. Like even though if I had the skill set, right, to work Disney on ice, if I stepped in day one, it would take some time to make sure that I can do the best job for these athletes because of that experiences, the relationship and all of that. So, you know, it's very easy from the outside in to kind of watch what's going on and give your two cents and, you know, kind of be a backseat driver. Yeah. But then think about if someone did that to your profession, it wouldn't go well, right? Like we're not (laughs) going to go over there and try to tell the coach how to coach. We're not going to go into an office and tell you how to do your job, right? Because we just know that there's not enough context. We don't have enough experience, right? I will say this. So I don't know when this episode is going to be released. I, I have a bunch of guest interviews in the bank, to be completely honest, which yeah, is what yeah. I usually do. But just this past weekend, I don't know if you saw the Dolphins game and Tua got pushed and yeah, landed on his that. head, right? Yeah. And people were asking me, what did I think? I didn't see it in real time. I saw it like earlier this week, like days after the, the game. replay. Yeah. Yes. And people are giving all of these two cents. You have like commentators on their shows and yeah, you know ESPN and all sure. of that. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is a perfect example of what we're talking about. Yeah. You're not there with the same experience, the same levels. I'm not saying that it was handled right or wrong. I don't know from watching yes. that. That's the big thing. But you figure, you give them the benefit of the doubt. You have an independent neurologist on the sideline. You have multiple team physicians and consultants. You have a staff of athletic trainers. I could easily see what they're saying. That could be the reality. I could also see that maybe it was something that at that point in time, that was their best judgment. And looking back, they're like, oh, maybe we should have done this. You know, we don't know, but that's the that's the whole premise of taking everything into consideration. They know Tua. They know what he looks like. They know what he's been suffering with earlier this season that the public doesn't know, right? right? They know all of the other things that was happening that game, right? So who's to say that, oh, he suffered a concussion and they just kind of pushed him through the concussion protocol and let him play. Like, I really think with everyone's license on the line, no one's gonna do that. But again, I don't know. So I'm not saying yeah. for or against, but that's a good example of like all of these people giving their two cents in the situation. Yeah. When you're so far removed from the situation, 100%. you just don't know. I, I was fun, it's funny, because as you were saying that, immediately my brain went to that. And I yes. thought, oh, that's a perfect example. So I'm so happy you brought that up yes. because having worked in other professional sports, when you're on TV and you got yes. a million people watching yeah. the same game, you didn't walk into the locker room with him like I did. Yes. You didn't have that conversation. And, you know, working in Major League Soccer, I, I've taken away so many things from that experience. But one of my colleagues had, had said that several times because yep. we watched him be like, dude, how did he miss that? Right. Yep. And you say and he was one of the first people to tell me, wait, pump yep. the brakes. Yep. Consider if that happened to our team and you walk in and we do an eval and come out and say, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. Soccer is maybe a little different, but not that different in the sense that you see an injury, it looks plain as day, yeah. but it's not, Yeah. right? So I'm with you when people ask me conversations, we have conversations, people ask me like that. I say, I don't, I don't know, man. That's, yeah. There's a lot of layers to that that you yeah. don't know. Yes. And it, it comes back perfectly to what you say in recognizing what you don't know. Yeah, right? exactly. You have to understand you are not privy to all the information being made available. Yep. The ESPN con- commentators or Fox, Fox whoever, Sports or whoever yeah. it is, you have experience like, oh man, I remember when I whacked my head, I was definitely concussed, right? <laughs> well, you, you, you're not Tua. Yeah, right? exactly. It's not the same. Exactly. And the same conversation, 
not terribly different is with playing surfaces and every other thing, everybody's got an opinion, yeah. right? So pump the brakes a little bit, people, when you yes. see an injury and you think, oh, what are they thinking? Oh, these, you know, prima donna athletes and it's just all about making money. Uh, to your point, there's a lot of licenses, a lot of careers on the line, not yes. just Tua's. Yes. And that falls back to liability on somebody or many people in this case and yes. saying, we made a decision. And I think everybody, and the only thing I would add to that is everybody has an opportunity to look at things in retrospect and hindsight mm -hmm. and say, maybe I would have done this differently, yes. right? That's one of the many, I would say, difficulties of doing what you and I do, yeah. is a lot of the decisions have to be made very uh, acutely, yes. right? Emergency medicine is no different, right? You're a paramedic, you have to make decisions very, very quickly, yes. and ours, thankfully, aren't always life and death. Mm -hmm. yep. There are other professions where these decisions have to be made very, very quickly, yeah. and who are you to judge that person for taking the knowledge and understanding they have mm -hmm. and making a decision? right and saying this is i did this and this is what i think was best at the time mm -hmm. yeah if i had instant replay maybe i would have done that maybe yep. this right yep. it's very easy to be an armchair quarterback because you said yeah, like oh we don't exactly. tell coaches i tell coaches what to do all the time on tv like <laughs> you dummy <laughs> but you know the premise is i understand the principle of what yeah. you're saying but that idea that you as an athlete or a person watching an injury would question that to, I guess, kind of bring it full circle, trust that the care and, I guess, support that you're being provided with is accurate and helpful. Yes. And if it turns out that it's not, then you have an opportunity to move on and find else yeah. elsewhere, right? But this idea that you know enough based on uh, multiple angles of a highlight yeah. maybe doesn't suggest that you have yes. the whole picture. And I think we did end on this, I believe, last episode. I could be wrong, though. Okay. But it's just... Like one, you don't know what you don't know. But also I think as you know more, you start to realize more what you don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so the, the premise here is like, you know, people listening to this, I don't want you to take it out of context because, you know, we see that and we're looking at the same thing. We're thinking probably the same thing that everyone else is thinking, plus like thousand more things that we're calculating into <laughs> yeah. that equation. Yeah. So I think that's where you don't realize like, yeah, that didn't look the greatest. But then we're thinking like, this is just a little bit about some of the things that we're considering, right? Sure. And then when you start to expand that picture, it becomes very easy like, hmm, yeah, this, this, this. And this is without us even being on the sideline, you know, watching the evaluation, right? The yeah. concussion and balance evaluation. So like all of these things, it's just, Again, like you said, it's very easy to give your opinion and judgment. But again, you are not trained. You don't have the experience. We don't even have that experience. Mm. I mean, I've worked one year in the NFL. These guys have been working their whole careers in the NFL. You know, yes. so like, who am I to even say anything about this? I can say like, oh, that's what I thought it looked like and all of this. But again, I don't know exactly what happened. And for people with not for this to come out the wrong way, but for yeah. people with way less training and experience than me to be so sure that they know what they saw, that is just absurd to it me. Is. Like, it's like, I'm not even sure like what happened there because I don't know. There's not enough information given to me. Right. So for anyone out there, we kind of branched off into this track, but <laughs> the bottom line is that there's so many things to consider, whether you're going through rehab, whether you're in the healthcare system, whether you're trying to get back to activity, that find those practitioners that one 
are very open-minded to understanding how everything's going to help you but two the ones that are willing to learn like you said earlier it's like lifelong learning right i don't know any professional that really excels and helps a lot of people that is like oh i stopped learning five years ago because it just doesn't work like that there's so many things that keeps coming out right that we have to understand okay how do we address these issues or how do we communicate with the patient these issues right so that's that's one of the big take-home messages too that i think is like find those practitioners that are going to figure out how to help you be open-minded and really do their best to make sure that they're continuing to learn for your benefit absolutely yeah yeah on that line i mean we talked a lot about all these different yeah, things yeah but I love it is there any last words or Again, I said this last episode, yeah. you're always a man of phrases that <laughs> phrases and quotes, but is there any last last things that you want to say to the listeners about anything that we talked about or other things that you think is very important that might help people in their life, help them with activities or physical fitness in general? Man, I, that, that's a whole nother podcast, that's, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I don't know. I, I, I find myself, especially on the road, I'm left to my thoughts a lot, you know, mm-hmm. which is maybe why I have so many just <laughs> random thoughts, good and bad, I suppose. Yes. But this idea that, you know, you as a human being are constantly trying something, hopefully, mm-hmm. right? This effort to continually grow and progress, whether that's spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, physically, or otherwise, you pick this area of focus that you want in your life Mm -hmm. the idea that uh you know i often say like when we were little we used to play this game game called king of the hill yes remember that you mentioned that i say that's that's still still my favorite idea is this idea that it's a continual struggle right Mm -hmm. and i think that's the takeaway that i learned in in from undergrad is this lifelong learning of of understanding that there's a reason we do continuing education is it's proven that the practices change and things change just like we do as humans. So as an athlete, your needs will change. Mm-hmm. What you did when you were a rookie or a freshman or yes. the beginning of your career may not be sufficient and for what you need to do now. And in my experience, working with elite and professional athletes for a very long time now, the best athletes recognize that on their own. Mm-hmm. So if you as an athlete can train yourself to recognize, you know, I used to be able to warm up in 10 minutes. Now my warm up takes like 20 or 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad thing. Yeah. You will get the most out of your body and your performance mm-hmm. by recognizing and paying attention to that. And I think that's one of the things I've taken away from Disney on Ice in particular with skaters. Mm-hmm. Most of them are very, very keen in understanding their body. Mm-hmm. And they will tell me more than anything else when something's wrong. And they may not know what it is that's wrong, but they say something's off. Yes. This doesn't feel right. Help me. So that's bridging that gap. That is, oh, so we're gonna go for another half an hour now. Yes. <laughs> no, but that that is excellent. I'm glad that you brought that up because for all athletes, I think this is something that you learn through maturity and as you progress through your career is like, you just need to understand your body more, mm. right? And that comes through practice. I think we've all been there, right? Think back to when you were a high school athlete. Yeah, you probably weren't in tune with like what was causing what or what training effects you know you were experiencing or overcoming or battling so understanding what your body specifically needs how it responds to things what you need to warm up cool down whatever it is and that could go for every single aspect right mental health too. recognize what you need how can you grow how can you be more in tune with your body yeah because i think 
you and I can both attest to this. And it's part of the journey. It's not, it's not saying there's a good or bad, but when you're talking to someone that's inexperienced or maybe a younger athlete and they're not in tune with their body, it's hard to do a eval. It's hard to help them, yeah. right? But as you teach them how to do that, one, they become more capable of not only being in tune with their body, but helping themselves. And also they become more capable about expressing that to you so that you can help them. And, you know, just awareness in general, right? It doesn't have to be physical like body awareness but right. just awareness in general i think that helps you grow throughout life so yeah. that's you know a life off. lesson that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah a life lesson that you can take away from training and rehab and you yeah. know all of the activities that you're doing but overall i know you're on vacation here you're yeah. stopping by just i'm glad you got to stop by while, yeah. yeah and there's so many great things that we talked about so everyone listen to this episode because this is one of those episodes that i truly cherish because it's talking between practitioners you know and i think we're both enough experience but have seen enough things that we're like there's so many things that we can do to improve in the future yeah and understanding how athletic training and sports medicine kind of fits into the bigger piece of the pie when it comes to training well and optimizing your performance so this is why i like talking to you and there's a lot of great things we shared love it so other than that, I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. You have any last words for them? I think it's been said. You crushed it. You <laughs> yeah. crushed it. Yeah. So listen to this episode. Also check out your podcast too. I will put all of that in the show notes. Okay. You have some yeah. interesting interviews because these are not your typical athletes. They're doing some out of this world tasks and stunts and all of these things. So check out your podcast as well. I'll put all of that in the show notes. But other than that, thanks so much for joining me, Jay. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it.